Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, now. Welcome back to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your host, Chris Swanson, joined by Adam J. Maya, our wonderful beat writer. Adam, how are you today? I'm only here so I don't get fined. Okay. I, I like that. I would find you if you weren't here. Um, Adam, we have a lot of stuff going on at Trojansports.com. I think I should probably say that before we really get into the show at all. I uh, just want to plug a few things. First of all, all of Adam's great work and uh, our whole team's great work from uh, the USC-Stanford game. Big win for USC. Uh, potentially uh, an era starting win possibly um yeah a lot of stuff to check out from that game so go to trojansports.com check it all out uh coverage from the game video interviews uh photo gallery all sorts of fun stuff and also my wonderful recruiting coverage uh featuring an interview with five-star running back james cook from miami central who uh never talks never is never interviewed uh it's an exclusive at trojansports.com him talking about usc so go check that out, and we also have plenty of other updates on uh, all kind of all kinds of recruiting news, and and especially uh, Tyreek Smith, a Rivals 100 defensive end from out in Ohio, who's going to take an official visit to USC this coming weekend for the Texas game. So get on to Trojansports.com, check it out. If you do not subscribe and you just listen to the podcast, make sure to subscribe. USC.rivals.com/sign underscore up. I also want to mention Murph's, Murph Baldwin's work. His podcast, Scheme to Death, is great. Check it out if you haven't. A quick note on that, though, as well, is that uh, we might not have uh, his uh, his most recent podcast, the Scheme to Death about Texas, up on time because he is in Georgia and is being uh, impacted by Hurricane Irma. So to Murph, don't worry about it. Be safe. But we just want to let everybody know we hope to get that to you. We're still hoping it comes. But uh, we're not sure because of, uh, you know, a natural disaster. Obviously not going to pressure Murph into, into doing anything with a hurricane going on. So stay safe, Murph, and stay safe, Mr. 305 Mike Singer, as well. He's been dealing with it. And uh, all of our Trojan family and friends in, uh, in the South as well. Shout out to you guys, and I hope that uh, if you are somehow listening to this, I hope you guys are all staying safe. And non-Trojan family and friends, we hope that they're okay too. Yes, yes. I, I hope that uh, I didn't I didn't make it sound like I was wishing ill on everybody else, but that as well. Uh, with all that, though, welcome to the show. We have a huge show for you guys today. After, as I mentioned before, a big win that uh, I think surprised the college football world. Maybe not the fact that USC won, but the way that they won. 
Adam Maya is our beat expert. He watches the team every second, uh, every moment. Adam, what did all this mean to you? It means that they're legitimate national title contenders. I thought they were right on the cusp of that, and I needed to see them win this game before I felt confident going there. I felt like, matchup-wise, this could be the toughest game of the year. They'll play tighter games. The season opener ended up being a more competitive game than this one because of how well USC played. And I thought that they made Stanford look bad at times. But I'm not going to put down Stanford because I think that USC played one of the best, most complete games I've watched them play in a very long time. I had this conversation with a member of the program and he pointed to the win versus Washington last year. And I think he put a lot of weight in the fact that USC won in Seattle. And I understand that. Definitely a, a much tougher environment. However, USC played better in this Stanford game. They were better on offense and they were just as good on defense. This is the best I've seen them play on a Saturday since 2011, probably that Oregon game, although that game they had to kind of hold on for dear life at the end. If they had just held serve in that game, then maybe that would be the one. But because of the way that one ended, I feel like, again, most complete win since Pete Carroll was the head coach. I didn't see it coming. I thought USC could win the game. I predicted Stanford in a tight game. I did not see USC winning by 18 points. No. No, I don't think anybody did. I'm sure some people will tell you that they did see that coming, but I don't think anybody did. Uh, I I think it was their most complete game since they beat Penn State in 2008 in that 2009 Rose Bowl, I guess, after after the 2008 season. Um, uh, If it wasn't that game, the other one that jumps out to, to mind to me is USC Ohio State in that same season. It's that year because um, all these other games that pop up, they were a bit more competitive. They were, you know, just a bit tighter. Uh, the other game that kind of felt like this was USC-UCLA in 2011, but obviously UCLA was so bad uh, that yeah. you, know, you can't really compare it. Sure. But it was just that kind of like, oh, they're overwhelming. They're really good feeling. Yeah, a game um, that mattered. I mean, of course, they've had yes. other blowouts. But exactly. That, that game, historically, is it's just dubious because of yes. how lopsided. But, I mean, I, I looked this up, and USC, they were, they were ranked number six going into this game. I believe now they're number four. But they hadn't won it while they were a top six team. They hadn't won a conference game since 2009 in the middle of that year before the wheels started to come off in Carroll's final year. It had been eight years that they had beaten any Pac-12 opponent while USC was ranked in the top six. And they didn't just beat any Pac-12 opponent. They beat the team that had owned them for the last couple of years and, and really for the better part of a decade. Yeah, and it was the way they beat them, too, because 42-24 to 24 doesn't even do it justice. No. That, that people will look at that score and go, oh, that's impressive. USC blew Stanford out. That's way closer than that game was. That game felt to me, if you, if you said, hey, you, know, there, you don't see the touchdowns or whatever, just put a score on this game. 
It felt to me like 49 to 10. It, it felt something like that. Like USC literally just did whatever they wanted on a team that's really good. This is not an overrated Stanford team. This is not a Stanford team from the past either. I feel like this Stanford team is going to be a top 10 team. I think they're going to be a team that maybe doesn't lose again, maybe loses one more time, and people look back on their schedule and go, oh, wow, they only lost to USC and Washington maybe or something like that. They're going to be really good. This defensive backfield that they had, it's one of the best in college football, and that's another reason why USC impressed me so much. And USC did whatever they wanted on a physical defense, and their defense held up against a physical offense. It, they haven't done that, like I said, against a team like that uh, level, you know, that quality of team, since that Rose Bowl against Penn State way back when Pete Carroll was there. And to me, it, it shows that um, I really think that they're the best team in the country now. I do. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, it, because when they played like this in the past, they were the best team in the country every year. There just wasn't a playoff, and they, they kind of you know got left out. Uh, I'm thinking back to the Pete Carroll years. I really felt like you know, oh three, oh four, oh seven, oh eight. You know, all those years. Yeah. They were the best team. Maybe even oh six. Uh, you know, as well. I think they're the best team. Uh, I think that they just have. They have things that no other team has. I think if I was ranking them, I would probably respect Alabama and just put Alabama number one because and rank them number two. But I really think USC is number one. They're the best quarterback in the country, uh, the yeah. best player in the country, and Sam Darnold. Their offensive line, which uh, we looked at as a potential problem, is now not a potential problem. They, they stepped up against Stanford. They beat up on Stanford. They're not going to face another defensive front like that. Uh, Toe Lobendon looks like he's working at left tackle. Uh, the fact that that's working is huge because he's really good offensive lineman, uh, as a matter of fact, and everything else seems to be pulling together. Uh, Stephen Carr, the addition of Stephen Carr, we knew their backfield was going to be good. They might have one of the best backfields in the country, if not the best backfield in the country now, uh, to, to go along with Sam Darnold and an offensive line that's protecting him and creating holes for the run game. Their offense might be the best in the country. Uh, they seem very unstoppable to me right now i i don't look at another team in the top 10 and think they're going to stop them because i think stanford probably has one of the best defenses in the country and usc just walked all over them without issue that defense too uh i feel like the secondary uh, with their starters really good the linebackers really good with their starters and then you know the 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 front two or three or four whatever you want to call it they really stepped up as well, and they manned up and, and held their own and, and beat up on uh, a Stanford offensive line that might be the best offensive line they're going to face on their schedule. They're good. They have a good defense, too. They're not going to get challenged this year. They're going to beat up on everybody they play. They're going to go undefeated, and they're going to be in gr a great position going into the playoffs because I feel like a few other teams that make it are going to get beat up a little bit. I feel like they have all the talent as well. It's, they're not just like, you know, I remember some Ohio State teams or maybe some Oklahoma teams in the past where they were obviously good, but it felt like, oh, they're benefiting from the schedule. I feel like USC is on a different level than that because they have the Sam Darnold, the backfield, the offensive line, this really good defense. I think I think they're going to win a national title this year, and I think Sam <laughs> Darnold's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I really do. I, I can't I keep up coming. with you right now. Okay, this is a complete 180 from a week ago. Yes. What in particular changed so dramatically for you? Uh, it's, it's the offensive line and the defensive line, I guess I should say. Uh, the offensive line was huge to me because basically going into the season, I looked at them and I said, I like Toa Lomondon a lot, 
I don't, I'm not sure he can work at left tackle, and I think that's a risk. I looked at Chris Brown, and I thought, I, I like you as an offensive lineman a lot, but I feel like Damian Mama beat you when he was out of shape. That was a red flag to me. I just thought Nico Falla and Vianna Talmaival were like, okay, good college players, but not like, you know, NFL-type guys. And I thought Chuma was a potential red flag at right tackle. And after this game, it looks like, okay, Tolobendon will work at left tackle, and that's huge, and he is really good. Um, I probably underestimated Nico Falla and Vianna Talmaival, and I definitely underestimated Chris Brown. And Chuma Doga is athletic enough, and he seems like his head's in the game, and it's working. So all of a sudden... Their offensive line went from, oh, this is a big problem, to they might have the best offensive line in the Pac-12. It's a huge change. On top of that, they had Stephen Carr. So now their their uh, backfield went from, this is a very good backfield, to I think this is the best backfield in the country, potentially. On top of that, they have Sam Darnold. Uh, and the receivers have looked pretty good. I'm not, you know, I don't think they have that NFL guy yet. It doesn't seem like it matters. For a college receiving corpse, they're looking good. So to me, it seems like, okay, if you break down what they have, right, uh, and when Daniel Emar to Bebe comes back, if he does come back, and if that all works out, it's, it will be even crazier, I think. But, um, you know, they have very good receivers now, uh, or pretty good receivers. And then, you know, Offensive line, running back, quarterback, arguably the best in the country, maybe, at all three of those positions. Their offense seems kind of unstoppable. Their defense, I was already sold on the back eight. I thought the back eight was really good. I think they're now I think they're gonna hold up on the defensive line because they beat up on Stanford, who I think has a top ten defense probably. Huge for me. I mean, against Western Michigan, they were tied in that game. Western Michigan was running the ball on them. I thought, okay. Their defensive front is not good. It's not good. Well, it turns out, first game jitters, they underestimated them. The option was giving them trouble. Something was happening because it was night and day in one game. The offensive line, the same thing. They seemed like they were kind of getting beat up front a little bit by Western Michigan. And night and day, uh, they look very impressive. So now I'm looking at them. The way they beat Stanford, that's the way that Pete Carroll national title teams uh, beat you know, top 10 teams. And I, I call Stanford a top 10 team because I really do think they are one. I think they could beat anybody. I really do. I, I don't think anybody, and, and especially when you factor in Sam Darnold, I thought he was going to, you know, pull them up to a really good record kind of despite some problems. They don't seem to have a lot of problems around him anymore. That kid's not going to lose, you know, even in close games, even against really, really high-end teams. I just don't see him losing. He essentially so, hasn't. I mean, he's yeah, he really undefeated. Yes, yes, except his first game on the road, right? And they lost with like 12 uh, seconds to play. Yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, and it didn't even seem like it was on him, really. No. And also, yeah, well, I won't get into it, but it seemed like they could have won that game, too. Yeah. So I just, I don't see them losing to anybody. The only, especially in, on the schedule, no one's going to beat them, definitely. I don't think anybody's going to get within 10 points of them on this schedule. It's just going to be wipeout after wipeout. Maybe somebody can get close in the playoffs because it'll be a higher-end team, although I think Stanford really prepared them well for that. I think Stanford's a playoff-quality team. I really do. They might be blowing out playoff teams or that first round or something, but if they do get in that close game, nobody's going to be able to compete with Sam Darnold. He's the best player in the country. Stanford, that defensive backfield is one of the better college defensive backfields I've ever seen. They really made him pay for every mistake he made. He only made like three of them, and they made him pay every time. Yeah. 
But they made him throw into windows that were ridiculously small. They were all over the receivers. I think USC's defense, if they had that defensive backfield, I think they should be jealous of that defensive backfield. Maybe the best in the country. And he destroyed them. Destroyed them. Completed, what, 80% of his passes? Hey, the guy's a monster. He's just a monster. USC is not going to lose. They haven't even had a quarterback like Sam Darnold before. You know, they they don't have a backfield like this every year. No. They don't have a defense like this every year. They don't. I'm not even sure they have an offensive line like this every year. At least not recently. They definitely had, haven't had an offensive line anything like this in recent years. Not even last year. I think they're a national title team. That's what it feels like to me. So congratulations, USC, <laughs> on your 12th national title, your 8th Heisman Trophy. You're the best program ever. I'm bowing to you. I love you. And I'm sorry, T. Martin, because uh, you obviously knew how to recruit receivers, and I'm an idiot. Is that, is that all? Did I get it all? Well, he, called, he called a heck of a game. That, that was did. the best job he had done in that position. And then in Tyson, oh, yeah. too, we have to mention both of them. They do share that responsibility. But we've been hard on T. I thought he had a wonderful game. Do you remember the Stanford Pac-12 national title game where you yeah. could hear the coaches screaming in the press box? Yeah. Did you hear T. Martin on Saturday every after every touchdown screaming, eat it, Chris Swanson? <laughs> Did you hear that? I didn't catch it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was we're on different. Uh, we're on different levels now. Yeah. Well, I st- I still heard it. So okay. Hear it from miles away. Okay. Well, I'm not ready to crown them because it's September 11th. They played two games, but I'm wildly impressed by what they did. It was Carol-esque. It felt like they were unbeatable, and that was one of my questions for Clay after the game. I prefaced it by noting, hey, I know that you don't get too high, too low, but do you feel like you guys proved something to yourself in the way that you played and the manner that you beat up on Stanford? And he said, we proved that this is what we're capable of. This is our standard. This is how we're supposed to play. And he was alluding to the fact that they didn't play to that, stand- that standard the week before. And therefore, they had a hard time against maybe an underrated opponent or maybe just uh, underrated circumstances, it being the opener, it being insanely hot, um, it being a physical run team day one out the gate when you haven't tackled a lot. Whatever, I'm not going to defend them or make excuses, but um, it might prove to be a moot point, is my point, the way that that game went. Sometimes games, you, you can't just say, okay, this game means everything, and this game means nothing. So I haven't forgotten the opener, but I'm willing to disregard it if they're going to play like this in the coming weeks we got to see them play like that again. Cause I'm with you. If they, if they play this level, they're not getting beat by anybody on this schedule. They're, they don't have another big game until the Pac-12 title game. Probably. And then the Final Four. If they play to this level, I think they are going to win these games by double digits. They're definitely capable of that. A few of the things that really caught my attention were the front seven. That is where I'm probably most impressed, and I felt like 
they carry Gakeem. With Darnold, it's, we take it for granted. It's expected. You knew he would play well. In fact, he, he shows up. I mean, not just playing well, but when they get into these matchups, you think about the Rose Bowl, you think about Washington last year, you think about even just when he took over the job. He was insane in all these games. So, it, it was really no different in that way. I thought he was near perfect, and yet I'm not even phased by it because I think he is the best player in America. But the front seven, after the showing that they had, they had a hard time with Western Michigan for more than a half. A lot of people kind of were making the two halves in like two different games. No, the game was tied in the fourth quarter, and Western Michigan still ran the ball in the fourth quarter. The USC front seven, or front six is really what it was in that game, did not play well. They're admitting that more and more, the, the more they get away from it. But I'm not trying to harp on that. It's just because uh, it's a dichotomy. The way that they played versus Stanford was a completely different team. And they ran, you know, with a different scheme and everything. And it's a different opponent. I just didn't think that they had that in them. Because they, they faced a better quarterback. Keller Christ isn't one of the top five quarterbacks in the Pac-12. But he's not a bad quarterback. I don't think he had the best weapons at receiver. He had tight ends. He had he had a good running game. But USC deflected. They recorded 10 deflections on the stat sheet, which I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it. I wonder about that just because that's a pretty absurd number. But regardless of what it actually was, they, they did well. They did well covering. But the way that they shut down the Stanford offensive line, it wasn't they shut down the running game so much. Bryce Love still had a, a nice day at the park, you know, 160 yards. But the but USC won in the trenches in a way that we don't usually see them. Even last year when they were holding opponents to their seasonal and points, they weren't necessarily dominating the line of scrimmage. And it felt like they were pretty dominant through much of this game. That was where I was most impressed. And then I want to go with someone, I want to mention someone who I think highly of, and I expect to be productive, but still remains underrated by me, by I think most people, Deontay Burnett. Especially with Deontay Burnett getting so much attention from opposing defenses, I'm just surprised with how productive he can be. Because it isn't like Darnold's throwing to him every play. He does distribute. But Deontay's putting up juicy numbers, despite the fact that he's not being, I think, game plan the way Juju was and depended on the way Juju was by Cody Gessler. I did not see Deontay being one of the top receivers in the country. But that's what he's played like. What do you think about Deontay? Yeah, he's been amazing, and I'm blown away because, again, I always bring it up. 
Uh, it's not fair to him, but I always bring it up. He's not an NFL-type receiver. You don't look at him, you know, and go, oh, you're, you're going to get drafted in the first round. That's usually what USC's top receiver is. He's not that guy. It doesn't matter. Puts up huge numbers. I don't know how he does it. It's, like, sneaky. It's just, like, he's open all of a sudden. He's getting the ball. He has 140 receiving yards or whatever. I, I don't know how it happens, but every week it seems like he's there and he's pulling it off. So I have to give credit to him because uh, – you know, I, I kind of expected him when he got put in that role as the top guy. I expected opposing defenses to kind of just focus on him, shut him down, honestly. And I thought that he was benefiting from having all these talented guys around him. And uh, he's been impressive. So my hat's off to him. I think the entire offense is feeding off one another. Because I love the way John Chase is playing. But if you ask him, he'll mention the offensive line because they're giving Darnold time. He'll mention the running game because of the attention that they draw from the, you know, from the uh, from the defense. He'll mention his fellow receivers, where that's where I still have some reservations about. Stephen Mitchell had the best game of his career, and I had to go and personally apologize to him because of the way I publicly doubted him. He he was excellent, and I couldn't be happier for him because I've watched him through the entire journey. Good kid, good family, deserves everything he's doing. I didn't see him doing this. And that's how we shoot it to you. You know, we're, we're just straightforward here. We, you know, we're talking like we're, you know, we're in the basement, keeping it real. And yes. I did not see... I am in a basement. Yeah, so. you, you actually are. I did not see Mitchell playing at this level. I... I thought he played this level two years ago when he'd already been a couple years out from his first injury and he was healthy and he looked so good in spring practice. And I think for a multitude of reasons it didn't happen, maybe not all because of him, but whatever the case, we've been waiting a long time where I admittedly had kind of given up on him. He's playing really well. He had four catches in both games. So I'm still curious about how that's going to work moving forward if Deontay's maybe hauling in seven to ten. You still would like to have another guy with more than five catches. That was a staple of their passing game last year where at least two out of the three between Darius and Juju and Deontay. And even the first half of the year, Darius, Juju, and Mitchell, you would see two out of three of them have a big game. Now, Mitchell obviously had a big game. It's not just about reception. He, he was a downfield threat, which I think changes everything for the offense, having another downfield threat. But Jalen Green, not trying to hate, he's playing a lot of football right now, getting a lot of snaps. He has three catches total from the two games. I don't think that's going to work. I still think that they need to figure that that spot out. I think Mitchell is proving that he needs to be on the field. Deontay has obviously done more than that. What about that other position? Still waiting on that. I still think the tight end position will be a weapon. Uh, Tyler Petit has caught three balls in both games. It's been very modest, so I think he has about 55, 60 yards receiving 
through Q game. Daniel Maturbebe didn't play. He might be out for a while. It's unclear right now. But he has not looked right in practice. All of fall camp, the last two weeks, I was surprised that they played him in the opener because I thought they would save him for game two. They ended up, it ended up being the other way around where they did play him, didn't feel good, couldn't play game two. And Clay hinted at the fact that he might need to be shut down until he's 100%. Now, I thought that would be a big deal in this game. I wrote in my my tenfold column before the game that if he was playing and he was right, I'm picking SC. Because that's who I've been leaning toward for a couple months. And it was really that opener and the stench of it that kind of threw me off. So I was wrong. I'm not trying to act like I was right here. but Righter than me. <laughs> no, I, I was wrong. I just... I thought that because of the way that they played in that game and who they were playing in game two, it it wasn't a recipe for success. I'm getting off track here. My, my real point is here is that I still think they benefit from another weapon in the passing game. Maybe Deontay can do it every game. I don't know. Maybe he, he can catch at least seven every game. If he's not productive, then they're... They're probably fine, but I think they're going to need another guy that's going to catch six, seven, eight passes, maybe have a breakout game, basically be what Giancay was last year, where Giancay would break out in certain games, but there was still Juju with nine catches for 90 yards. Right now, they don't have that balance. Um, or they, I guess no, they, they have balance. They have too much balance, maybe. In terms of distribution, I'd like to see a couple more go-to threats solidified. That's just the way I see it. I, I, I feel like that's been a big key, I mean, underrated key to their success over the last 20 years. You look at the couplets that they've had with Mike Williams and Kerry Colbert, Dwayne Jarrett and Steve Smith, and then Robert Woods, Marquis Lee, Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that's a blueprint. And right now, I just would like to see more from a number two. But again, with Stephen Mitchell getting that game, that was number two. So if he's going to do that week in, week out and catch you know, a handful of passes, maybe it's four, maybe it's five, hundred yards, then what I'm saying is, is being qualified. You know, it's, it's being reached. But I, I, don't know, I don't know about that yet. I, I'm just surprised that... We really haven't seen really anything from Tyler Vaughn, Joseph Lewis, especially with the way the staff is talking about Joseph Lewis. Barely played in this game. I, I, it's still early, so I'm, I'm not counting them out either. I'm just waiting for that to happen before I'm all in. Defensively, I was very confident coming into the year. I thought they'd have one of the better maybe one of the top two defenses in the Pac-12 and one of the better ones in the country. So that's why I'm willing to throw out game one. I'm a little bit more forgiving with that. That's where I'm at. So I have to ask you then. Yeah. 
if you went to sleep and it was a long sleep and you didn't wake up maybe until the end of the season you woke up in a cold sweat and it was like a nightmare situation and okay usc was all of a sudden they were like i don't know nine and three or something like yeah. that which now would just seem ridiculous yeah i'd be very very surprised is is the receivers is that the potential pitfall for you is that what you're seeing there that caused that you know that maybe that nightmare record or is it something else that maybe is going on that you see as a potential issue that could lead to you know that nightmare scenario well we're assuming relatively good health right sam darnold plays every yes. game yeah, so if yeah. You- let's let's say because I think too it's fair that if the if they had an injury to the offensive line or the defensive line, this probably can change pretty quickly, right? So maybe yeah, we just yeah. say, hey, injuries. Like, yeah, injuries can change things. We know that that's a given. Outside of injuries, I guess. Well, we broke down our gap a couple weeks back, and Clay's really high in the depth of the offensive line. Of course, a lot of them don't have game experience, so. It's a, an unknown, but this is how he feels about it. He feels very confident. He was less confident in the depth on the defensive line. But because of the way that this defense operates, they put the least amount of stress on the down linemen of any unit. I think the linebackers are way more important. It, in that way, it would remind you of 2008 and how, how valuable they were to the defense as a whole. So, I think defensively, I feel relatively good about their depth. In the secondary, at cornerback, I, I, that's the one spot where I think it's a glaring issue. Um, I, I still think that we're going to see Biggie Marshall and Jack Jones be tested in a way that they really haven't been yet moving forward in Pac-12 play. But if either one of them were to go down, then I could see them losing the game because of it, because of an injury right there. And then beyond that, I don't know. I, I mean, offensive line, you're all in on them? Yeah. Yeah? It was Stanford. They protected and ran the ball on but, Stanford. But what if Stanford's front seven isn't good? I know it usually I, is I, usually great. What if, cause we know their secondary is very good, but what if, the front seven is just okay this year. I don't think we would find that out until USC got to the playoffs. Because there's no, gotcha. there's no, you think there's no one else on the schedule. Yeah, well, there's no one else on the schedule that, you know, maybe facing Washington. May, but maybe them. Because, you know, yeah. who knows, right? But, yeah, we're not going to, their offensive line will be better than the opposing defensive front in every game that they play. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly think that's because they're for real. Because like, I believe in Stanford's defensive front. I have a hard time believing that they're not that good. I really do. Yeah. I have a hard time believing that. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe though. Maybe you're right. I have a, a couple potential pitfalls, though, for you. Because okay. uh, you know me. I'm, I'm pretty negative. Somebody on our message board even questioned if I was really Scott Wolf, by the way. <laughs> Okay. I saw that comment. I loved it, and I, I know you've just been disguising your identity for the last three years. I really well too, like Hollywood quality makeup guys, <laughs> like really. Um, <laughs> so 
Uh, I think you mentioned the secondary. I think that's fair because they have, you know, there's been times where they've looked a little questionable, maybe like a Washington State, right, with all those receivers can challenge them. Not super worried about that, but I think that might be something, uh, you know, that may be an issue. I look at special teams, and uh, I think that's been an issue, and uh, maybe that could be a problem for them down the line. And then also um, the run game. I know we're talking about how impressed we are with USC's defensive front right now. In Western Michigan, it was against Western Michigan. It was an issue uh, against Stanford. It was an issue at times, and it makes me wonder because Western Michigan was so option based and Stanford so you know more of a pro style in your face type. It makes me wonder if while the defense is really athletic and fast and awesome and you know is, can beat you up, if maybe sometimes these option teams can catch them off guard or catch them being undisciplined or whatever and gash them. So the 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 potential pitfalls for me all kind of add up where maybe I could see this game uh, where there's a couple big passes downfield on their defense. There's a couple option plays that go for big runs. And then there's a couple special teams disasters for USC, whether that be a, a screwed up punt or a return that's big or whatever, where all of a sudden, you know, this USC offense that maybe, you know, can't really be stopped is in a shootout and maybe they're on the wrong end of it uh, just because, you know, some things broke down defensively and and on special teams and maybe they end up losing a high scoring game or you know maybe their offense sputters and and they can't keep up in a game like that or something like that uh that's the pitfall i see is uh maybe they have trouble with the option maybe they have trouble uh defending downfield passes sometimes and i definitely know that their special teams have been you know kind of an issue through two games that's that's really the glaring issue so far so i could see all of that adding up to a loss somehow but i really don't see the team on the schedule to do it to them no i I don't either i mean i'm thinking through it as you talk and i don't even think they would lose a shootout i think i'd be hard because they have darnold and he always moves the ball sometimes passing yards can be an inflated stat and overrated and misleading but at the end of the day darnold is top 200 yards passing at least in every start that he's made which means that they're moving the chains always and then Rojo has run for about 1100 yards in the last 8 games just him alone and now you have Steven Carr so they're running the ball because of those two and Arnold and the offensive line I, I don't see I don't see how they're stopped. The offense is unstoppable. Yeah, I and mean, that's why I made it a shootout. That's why right. I said so you're that. saying it's more on the defense. Exactly. Yeah. The defense and the special teams would have to falter because if you look at their offense, if you sell yeah, you're not going to hold the offense the to under 20 points. No. And if you it's sell out to them under 30. Yeah. If you sell out to stop the run against them, maybe you can stop the run. I don't even think that's a given. And if you sell out. Right? Maybe you can stop the run. Well, then you have Sam Darnold to deal with. If you sell out to stop the pass, if you're playing like nickel or dime and double teaming all these receivers or playing soft zones and stuff, I still think Sam Darnold beats you up with the passing game. Yeah. I mean, like, he might just complete 80% of his passes for three touchdowns anyway. Or if you're sending pressure, it might not matter. So he's unbeatable. What? And then their running game might be unbeatable anyway. Like, even if they had. A quarterback that, that wasn't very good, yeah. and and the defense sold out to stop the run on every play. They might still have a really good offense. Yeah, let, they're unstoppable. Let me give you a stat real quick. So this past week, 
Darnold completed a career high 81% of his passes. Okay, the week before, the week which he felt was the worst game that he had played, I don't actually agree. I know it wasn't one of his better ones, but I don't think it was the worst one. He completed 70%, and he had four drops. If you do the math, and you add those four, it came out to 81%. (laughs) I mean, he... That's how good he is. So, I hate picking against him. I mean, as I was making my prediction, I I had no conviction with it. I, I, I had no confidence that Stanford would beat USC. I just wasn't confident that USC would beat Stanford. That was my issue. The, the more I thought about it, I just kind of found things that that made me lean towards Stanford, going back to how USC played in the opener. But I I hate picking against Sam Darnold. And I've, I've only done it twice. And I've been wrong both times. Well, well, stretch that. I did pick Utah. And, and even then I feel like I was wrong because USC should have won and had that game won. And he played really well in it. But uh, the, the, two, the two other instances were Washington, which I expected to be tight, but just I got it being up there that they would win. And then this past weekend. And that was really it. So, if you told me that they ended up 9-3, and three, then I don't see how it, hap- how it would happen without injury. I, I, I feel like it would have to be a major injury to a major player. I don't think a healthy USC team loses more than a game in a regular season. And even that one win, I feel like it's going to require more turnovers. I mean, Donald got picked off a couple times. It would require at least two of those and maybe a fumble or two. It would require, I think, like four turnovers to beat them. I don't think you're just beating them straight up. I think you're going to have to get some luck. I agree. Yeah. With that, we are on to our favorite segment of any show, of probably just our favorite thing ever. Oh, right, it's my favorite thing ever. I don't know about you, Adam. You might have like a wife and child that you might favor more than podcast questions, but there's nothing that I look forward to more than podcast questions. So I'm excited. We get it started. Oh, and remember, if you ever want to ask a question, sign up to trojansports.com at usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. And uh, make sure you get on there and ask some questions. And you can play all sorts of fun games, predict scores, win prizes, all sorts of stuff. But anyway, I digress. Questions. Cool Gray. That's an awesome username, by the way. Uh, is our first asker, and he asks Adamaya. Do you think we will see a package with Carr and Jones in the same backfield together like Ware and Malapai last or this week? Why don't you start there, Adam? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, mm, yes. Mm, you could do that. I Maybe. Um, I mean, they do work on this stuff in practice with two, two different tailbacks. 
They only have four, so proxies of elimination. It wouldn't be a shocker if they get that. Because I think of how already how uh, how all around Stephen Carr's game is, and, and Rojo's getting there, and he's already been a receiving threat early in the season. There's really no reason not to do it. I know it gets people excited. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the fascination is with it because of the fact that they're both running for about like eight yards per carry with just one of them back there. I don't know why we need to see both of them, but yeah, why not? I think people just get excited because it, I feel like they like formations that are tricky. It can throw the defense off because then it's like, oh, if they're in the backfield at the same time, you know, there's going to be a big play. It's not like one of them is going to be the, like the fullback. It's not that. Yeah, I mean, you never know. It's not like a, like a power formation. You never know. I mean, Reuben Peters has been setting a standard. So with that fullback play, they use him all the time. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. It's not nothing against Reuben Peters. It's against the fact that there's a fullback on the roster. Um, okay. I thought you liked fullbacks. I like fullbacks. I don't like pretend fullback play. Or, you know, where it's like, oh, we have a fullback, we use a fullback, and you don't. That's what I don't like. But I digress, and who cares? The USC is going to win the national title. What do I know? So, um, great answer, Adam. I agree. Use both of them in the backfield together. We could see it. Why not? Okay. Okay. What areas of the Texas offense and defense scare you the most? I will take this one first. Okay. Uh, I know Texas has some nice-looking receivers and some nice-looking running backs. I do, am not a fan of their quarterback play. I'm not a fan of their defense at all. I Actually, nothing on the Texas defense scares me one bit. Um, so I would say that, uh, I mean, USC maybe could give up some big run plays, could give up some, some plays to some nice-looking receivers, and that could be scary. But uh, I think USC is going to just absolutely kick the ever-living tar out of texas i think it's going to be so bad that uh i'm it might be worth turning off at halftime so i'd say nothing scares me about the longhorns at this point okay but Mert baldwin will break this down he will hopefully if he gets power hurricane actually and all i got that. a message from him while we've been recording and he told me that uh you know it's windy it's rainy he doesn't have power but he's hopeful that he can do a show. I told him not to worry about it if he can't. But he really he loves doing it. He wants to do it. And I have a feeling that he will. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for the update, Adam. See, that's Adam as a reporter, by the way. That's how we have all these great updates uh, during the games and such, too. Because Adam you know, is on top of it, knows when to update us all. Appreciate it. Stay safe, Murph. Uh, last question from Cool Gray. I obviously forgot to say one per person. My bad. Um, he asks, will Clay treat this Texas game, I assume he's asking, like a regular game, or will he treat it like the game everyone has been waiting to see for 11 years? Clay Hilton will treat it like a regular game because he is an even-keeled coach, and that is what he does, and he will not put special treatment on a game because when you do that, you're asking to either lose that one or another one. So I am convinced that this will be treated like every other Pac-12 conference game, even though it is against Texas and all the fans want 
revenge from what happened in the Rose Bowl all those years ago. He will not be worried about that at all. I don't know if I'm, I want to comment on this too, on really the back half. And maybe I'm disconnected because I've been a reporter now for a while, but I don't really feel much about them playing Texas. I mean, it's not for the national title. It, Texas is not a top 10 team. It, it's important because USC is so much on the line in general, but I don't feel a connection between this game and what happened in the Rose Bowl at all. There is no connection. I, it's it's manufactured. I mean, yeah. they're they're promoting they're it. So You'll see the commercial. From that. Yes, and there's nobody involved in this game yep. that was involved then. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I could I completely agree. But the they're promoting it that way. If you look at the commercials on TV for this game, it's they're replaying Vince Young scoring, and it's like, oh, USC will get revenge, and you know they're they've been waiting to get revenge or whatever. That's how it's being promoted. So I get the question. I think it's a silly promotional tactic because you're right you're right there is absolutely nobody involved in this game that was involved in that game at all the programs are both in such different places i mean not not only usc because they went through the sanctions and you know they've had three coaches since then or whatever else texas is a mess texas is an absolute mess right now i I honestly feel bad for everybody that's going to go that texas is at this point because usc texas should be a super exciting game. That should be like, whoa, this got scheduled. Oh my gosh, you know what I mean? And, and it's sad to me that USC is there and Texas isn't. Because if Texas was a top ten team, this game would be so cool. Oh, yeah, it would be so sure. cool. Oh my gosh, but it's not. It's going to be a I'm, blowout. I'm hoping Texas that, is... that Herman can turn them around, and then next year, the, the game in Austin will be the, the game you know that we're that we're yeah. all talking about. Yeah, two teams in the top yeah. five or whatever. Yeah, but, but this feel it is a program that's down. I mean, this would be like right. playing Alabama when they're six and six, or you know, if if uh, if Texas had played USC when they went seven and five that year, or whatever else. You know, what I mean, it's just like it's a down program. It has the logo, it has talented individuals, but something's wrong. It's not Texas. Yeah, so, it, it totally even has an aura that would remind me of of last year when Alabama played USC. Yeah, you know where. Yeah, like on paper, we want that game, but we want them to be at their best. So while Alabama has bragging rights, I don't think they come away from that win holding on to it forever. And I don't think it's one of the more memorable games that those players played in or think about or care about. No. I also don't think, if you talk to one of the, the guys on USC that played Texas, in 2005, or in January of 2006. I don't think this USC team beating this Texas team will make them feel better about that loss. I think that loss no. haunts them forever. Yeah, well, why Why would it make you feel better? It makes no sense. It's like, what? which one would you rather have, right? right? Like, without question. Um, the thing it reminds me of, and, and then we'll get off this topic because I know we're kind of beating this to death, but... Um, when I when I was growing up, and you know, kind of first you know following USC football and all that, USC Notre Dame, uh, where they you know in 2002, yeah, they were both highly ranked. It was a big game, right? Uh, the 2005 game. There were, there were a couple instances, right, yeah. in those kind of ten years where I was a kid or I was younger, 
where it's like, oh, USC Notre Dame are two. It's two big teams, and it felt like a big game. Two thousand six put jumps into mind mm-hmm. too, a few times like that. There are all these other years where it was USC Notre Dame. USC's competing for a national title. Notre Dame is awful. Yeah. So it was the logo. It was everybody talked about. Oh, this is there's such great history here. It's such a great rivalry. You know, you should be appreciative to be at this game to watch this game. Whatever else, and then they played, and it was I. It was like it didn't even register for me. You know what the game meant really because it was like oh USC's handling them like they're Oregon State. You know, even even in 2002 and 2006, when Notre Dame was supposed to compete for a national title or whatever else, it, it, USC still handled them. And then that one game, you know, the the 2005 one that was so close was so special. It just it kind of reminds me of this because it's just there's a huge gap right between playing a team that's a named team and having it not be a good game. It's kind of like oh, that's great. You know, it's great that we had this experience. I wish it was the game it could have been. And then the game it could be and living up to that potential. It's just a huge difference. So I hope next year, like you, that it kind of goes towards that, you know, that close, yeah. you know, ending, coming down to the end of the game type game. Because that would be really fun to watch again. Yeah, I actually two teams. disagree pretty, pretty strongly with a lot of what you just said. Oh, wow. <laughs> I do. Just because I think when you're a letterman and you play on this, in, in this football program or you play for Notre Dame, I think you do look back and whether both teams were good or you guys were and they weren't or they were and you weren't, you remember we went 2-2 two and two versus Notre Dame or we went 3-1 and one or we went 4-0 and oh or we went 1-3. Yeah. I think you remember that. I don't think you look back and like, oh yeah, we, we beat Texas in 2017. I'll never forget that. No, no, no. I wasn't saying from a player perspective. I was saying from the perspective of someone watching the game and and you know getting yeah, introduced to what relevance. the game could right. be. National relevance. Yeah. It's the, the, I was just showing. There's a huge difference yeah. between USC Notre Dame in 2003, USC Notre Dame in 2005. What USC at Texas could be versus what it's going to be this year. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You're right. From a player perspective, they don't care if Notre Dame is 0 and 12 or 12 and 0. They want to kill them, and, and it's important. I totally get that. I, mean, I think a good thing from a preparation standpoint is that Texas is such a big name that while we're downplaying it, downplaying the game a little bit, I think it'll have – the players will give their attention to it. Definitely. They're not going to overlook Texas. I think that they would be no. excited to play Texas right now. I just think that if they do beat them up and then they end up you know, in a Final Four or what have you – this game won't mean that much. But they're looking forward to it. And much like I know Alabama was looking forward to playing USC last year, even if they were super confident and expected to blow them out, and then they did, they came into it ready to kill. And I would think USC, you you hope to see that that, that's how they're going to come into it. I mean, they're in a new position right now that they haven't really been in, where... They're just going to be a favorite every week. And they're expected to win. They're expected to be in the Final Four. They they haven't had those expectations nationally since 2012. And ended up being premature. 2011, if you look back, it it didn't really go down like that. Because they lost early to ASU. 
Then they lost again a few weeks later to Stanford. So, and then they had the bowl band. So they were never in the national picture. They just ended up being a really, really good team. But it wasn't until they beat Oregon, which was a, a pretty big upset at the time, that everyone took notice. And that was, that, that win is kind of an outlier in Kiffin's tenure. So what Helton's doing right now is what, what we saw from Carroll you know, in 2002, 2003. That's where he's at. He has an 11-game win streak. Those are actually rare in this program. There's about a half dozen of them. And Helton has one now. So the culture is changing. There's a shift right now. But you have to keep winning. Even, even winning ugly. I mean, if they would have lost this opener versus Western Michigan then the whole season's different. And their destination's different. They're not in the Final Four. Right now, we're expecting them to go to the Final Four. I think they expect it too. So uh, that's what I'm most curious to see from this team, how they play with those expectations. We can move well, on. No matter, <laughs> no matter what happens, though, I've already drawn up the Chris Swanson National Championship 2017 in Cran, and I've mailed it to USC. What color? 12th national title. Uh, pink and green, because it goes so well together. <laughs> okay. I spelled I spelled championship wrong, too, by the way. Just a nice little addition there. All right, on to Jerry Bed. Jerry Bed is asking about special teams. Does this mean I get to make a John Baxter joke? Can't wait. He says... I know it's a small sample size and that we've given up a long touchdown, which skews the numbers. Nonetheless, our kickoff return defense is ranked 121st out of 127 teams. I didn't even know there were 127 teams now. Wow, that's bad. What are your guys' thoughts on Baxter's performance the last couple years, and how does he improve moving forward? With our new kicker now out for the year, who do we replace him with? Well, uh, Brown, the, the replacement for Brown is going to be McGrath, and that's not too big of a deal because he took over uh, the kickoffs for, uh, for Brown during the game, and he already beat him out for the other kicking part of the kicking job. So I don't really think that's going to be a big deal. Uh, I'm with you that the uh, kickoff return is a big concern for USC. Uh, first two games has looked really bad. They have a supposed special teams guru, so it's surprising. Um, I'm not sure about John Baxter's performance the last couple of years. You ask about it. Uh, I know that he's a big name in special teams coaching, but I don't really remember USC special teams being all that great when he was here. I didn't think Michigan special teams were all that great when he was there. Uh, his history really comes from his tenure at Fresno State, which was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking about back when Pat Hill was the coach there. That's been forever. So, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm totally with you. I think you can question John Baxter, and I'm not completely sold on him. But he does have a big reputation, so maybe uh, this is just a few fluke seasons. That's my take on it. All right, moving on to JB8286, who has a username that's harder to remember than the first two. He asked a question for Adam. Perfect. 
I won't answer. Adam, what player is playing better than you ex predicted? Also, Adam, what players are you seeing at practice that are improving? Maybe a backup who you think is going to make an impact when he plays. Adam, he asked you. I'm off the hook. Go. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm giving us some real thought here. I, I, it's hard for me to pick a lineman, offensive lineman, because I think collectively they've been very good, and it's hard to distinguish who's doing what. But them as a group, they're performing better than I predicted. I thought that they'd be inconsistent. It's hard to call a team consistent after two games, but they've been consistent. Thought they played very well versus Western Michigan, one of the few units that did. And then they were excellent versus Stanford, a game in which I thought they might have a really hard time. But if I'm going to eat any crow, it's going to be with the offensive line. I think they've been fabulous. I didn't see that coming. But I think it is the key to everything on offense. Sam Darnold could be the best player in the world, but if he has no line, then it would ruin him. Now, I, don't, I never thought that it would be that bad for USC, but I thought they would probably be average. I think they've been well above average, and that's what you need to win a national title. You, you have to have a great line. I don't think you can win with an average line. You can get far. I think Darnold could overcome that. I think he did last year, but I don't think you can win a national championship without an above-average line. They've been above-average. They've been better than I predicted. You can, however, win the Chris Swanson National Championship, which is in the mail. 2017 National Champions, USC. Congratulations. As far as the most improved backup, I actually listed 12 players who I thought had improved the most in spring practice. That list is in week one of the 10-fold. But if I have to pick one right now, I'm picking linebacker Connor Murphy. He'd be the guy that they would turn to if anything happened to either Yuchenna Nwosu or Port Augustine. He just has an impact. He's someone who I thought came along maybe a little slow last year and wasn't really sure how he fit into the defense. And he's blossomed. And I, I think he's ready to go. It's really probably just a matter of the fact that Clancy does not rotate. He still does not rotate very much and Connor didn't get on the field as much as he's capable of. But I feel like if he had to play or when he plays, he'll play good football. Very good. If that all sounded very good to you, it means that Adam is getting very good at editing. On to our next question. Cool Gray is back, uh, ignoring the rules again. He asks, are Vons or Lewis a threat to take Jalen Green's spot this week? I'm going to say yes, why not? I don't expect it to happen because Jalen Green did win the starting position, but he hasn't done much. He hasn't stood out that much. I think that those uh, those younger guys are always a threat because of that, so I think it is a threat. I'm not supposed to ask Adam, but I want to get his take very quickly. Adam, what do you think? Super fast. Make it fast. You would think they would be, but... I don't know. It's something that it's one of the things I'm going to be focusing on this week. We we watch these reps and 
Jalen Green gets all the first team reps, basically. Or the majority of them, I shouldn't say all. But then the staff will talk up other receivers, and then they don't play. Now, no one's really complaining about this right now because of how well Stephen Mitchell played and John K. Burnett played and how well Darnold played and how productive they were. But like I mentioned earlier, I think that you want to find more productivity from the wideouts, and I think you'll find it if you go a little deep, if you dig a little bit deeper. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. I know I'm not supposed to do that. I'm cheating. I don't care. Um, Brown Rocket jumps in, and he says, Ask about Kerry Angeline's progress and if we can expect more playing time from him. So, Adam, make sure to ask about that. Okay, on to the, I'm just kidding. Um, I almost uh, moved on to the next question. I thought that was funny. Uh, I think we will see more playing time from Kerry Angeline as the, as the season progresses because, as I mentioned in the preseason podcasts, I think with that size and that frame, and especially with USC being a little banged up at the position, I'm not sure how you keep him off the field or how you don't use him more. So I think eventually, this is just my take, I'm obviously not the offensive coordinator, and T. Martin would never tell me what he's thinking anyway, as we covered. Um, I, I think you could see much more of him. Okay. Okay. USC Ether asking about the receivers again. Can't wait to pass this off to Adam. He asks... How do you see the wide receiver position playing out over the course of the season? Looks like Vilas got a lot of snaps last weekend, but Vaughn saw less playing time, and Lewis seemed to get slightly more time, but no targets. How much catching up does Pittman have to do, and will Josh Imarterbebe see any meaningful playing time this season? Adam Maya, take it. Okay, that's a few questions there. Let me, it is. Let me address Break the first it down. One, how I see it playing out over the course of the year. Better than I thought. I I had serious questions about it, and I'm not alone. <laughs> okay, this is something that Clay Helton said was his number one concern coming into the year: the rapport between Darnold and his receivers. And I mean, and that really comes down to them, not Darnold so much. I didn't know that Deontay Burnett would be this productive on a game-to-game basis. It's been three in a row now. Go back to the Rose Bowl, we count that one. You had quite a run here. I didn't see this coming. Now I got Deontay. I thought he'd have a big year. We get over-unders. We gave him some pretty nice numbers. But if you look back at the, the history of the position at USC and the guys that have led them in receiving, They've had some huge prospects, guys that we expected to be great and ended up being great. Now, some were expected and, and ended up not being great, and they didn't lead the team in receiving, but you'll get who ended up being their most productive receiver, and none of them are big surprises. Go back in the last 20 years. I think the last one that you kind of wouldn't maybe remember would be Windrill Hayes, going back to, like, 1999. But in, in the 2000s, one after another, you you saw it coming, you saw it early. With Deontay, what I saw right away is that he could be good. 
How good? I don't know. I I got maybe serviceable good. And and last year, early in the year, he was serviceable good. And then Mitchell goes down, and he's much more than that. But even before the Rose Bowl, we, we didn't see him as being a number one. Then the Rose Bowl happened, and it changes the entire arc of his career. And, and maybe even for him, because how many times did I interview him in the offseason, and he said, oh, I don't, I don't think there has to be a number one, and I'm not looking to be the go-to guy. And he, he wasn't just downplaying it. I, I think he's being genuine. He, he, does, he doesn't have an alpha dog personality. He's one of the most modest kids that you'll ever talk to, at least for someone in his position. I didn't see him doing what he's doing, game in and game out. I knew he could do it some games, but right now it's looking like he's going to break 100 yards every game. He's going to score every game. He's going to catch at least seven balls. And if he does that, then I think it changes the way that we view the whole position to the point where it, they have time to figure out maybe Valus can emerge. Maybe Vines will do it. Josh Matarbebe, I don't. I thought he'd be playing already. He hasn't been playing. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't play. I think that there should be maybe more competition for those snaps that are going to Jalen Green. So I, I, it's hard for me to say with confidence that Josh Matarbebe will play meaningful time. Michael Pittman, I think he has some catch-up to do. I think he'd fallen behind in training camp before getting injured. And getting injured never helps. Unless you already have something locked down, if Sam Darnold got injured, he doesn't have to win back his job. But Michael Pittman was already fighting for playing time. So I think it'll be a little bit of an uphill climb. But who he catching up to? Jalen Green? Yeah, he can catch up to him. So I think they have time to figure it out. And I think the outlook for the whole group is, is better than we thought. And Joseph Lewis, I should mention him as well. Not sure what's going on there. I know with any true freshman, there's a lot for them to learn. And while we might not see the mistakes and while the coaches might not point them out to us, a lot of it will come down to the playbook. So I'm not sure if that's the issue with him. I'm not even trying to suggest that. I just am speaking in general. That is a common issue for a true freshman. He, he got there in the fall. He played two games. Maybe it takes a month. That's entirely possible because... I love the way he practices, and I can see him contributing. So the fact that they haven't used him more and they're not throwing to him tells me that maybe it's still a little fast for him. And, and it, that doesn't mean that it, it can, you know, he won't do anything this year. I think he can still be very productive this year. But, you know, maybe not to the level that we were thinking he could two weeks ago, where, oh, this guy might catch 30, 40 balls. I don't know. It doesn't look like anybody's going to do that after Mitchell and Burnett right now. So I'm not really sure where it's going to come from. I'm going to take you behind the curtain a little bit right now. 
Adam Maya is the only person I know that will get upset with me for reading everyone's question thoroughly and to its full extent and then take 20 minutes to answer about receivers. It's okay, Adam. I love your thorough answers. And that's why I'm going to give you like three questions in a row right now. So, Adam, USC Rocks asks you, how much better is this OL performing than what you saw in practice? Who in particular surprises you, and what explains this discrepancy between practice performance and game performance? Okay, well, that last question infers that there's a discrepancy when I'm not telling you that there was one or is one, because you can't judge an offensive line in practice. They're in full pads once a week. They're... They're not cackling a lot. We, we've already kind of covered this ground, and I'm, I'm not trying to shame the way that hell can run things by any means. I'm just telling you that there's not a lot of live football, which is where you would judge an offensive line performing as a unit. A lot of what they do is, is individual. Um, it's, it's repetitive. But it's more about motion, more than it is contact. So I, I'm not going to say that they're even performing better than they were practicing. I, I never thought that they weren't practicing well. If you notice, it's really not a unit that I say is underperforming. Now, I did point out in training camp that they weren't running the ball very well through parts of it. They didn't run the ball very well in spring practice, but they were down. Toa wasn't there. Nico was in and out. Viani was in and out. Even Chuma went down for a little bit. So, that we could understand. But in training camp, they didn't always run the ball real well. The defense knows the offense. They're able to load up on things. They're cheating, basically. They, just, they, they know it in a way that no opponent would ever know it and they're defending a certain way, and they're working on things where they they want this battle, and, and they want the defense to kind of um, have strength in numbers and just see what, what the offense can do with that. So, anyway, I, I thought they were fine in practice. Um, in terms of what's surprising me, I mean, Chris, you might want to chime in on this, but the tackles, because... There was not a lot of game experience for Toa Loban down at left tackle, and it came three years ago. And then Chuma Doga, while he's been there for a while and gotten a lot of practice reps, had not played a lot on Saturdays. I think that the way they're playing is a surprise. That's the surprise. I felt like the interior was always going to be fine. Yeah. And that felt like, felt like USC's recruited interior offensive linemen pretty darn well as well um they've not really recruited tackle as well or you know as many high-end tackles maybe and uh yeah that was that was the issue i think or the potential concern and it's not one so it's a big deal uh here's uh here's another question for you before i take one just because i think you're gonna have a much better answer for this than i will 79 usc 83 asks I am always impressed with how well-spoken and professional USC players are during media interviews. I am too. 
My understanding is they receive some media training. What does this entail? Who conducts this training? <laughs> are there any players who are strictly off limits? Adamaya, please blow us away with your wisdom. No players are off limits. The sports information department conducts the training. They go through a mini seminar before the season where they cover scenarios, situations, circumstances, all the things that they can and will encounter uh, in their interaction with the media. That was much better than my answer because I was going to say that they went through a boot camp where like cardboard images of you and me and Scott Wolf and other reporters like pop up, <laughs> like gotcha questions. Yeah. And then they have to like shoot them with a BB gun or something. That's what I was envisioning. But apparently uh, USC doesn't do that. So a lot of a lot of I think them being well spoken and professional come down to the fact that these are highly recruited prospects. I've been interviewed for some time now by the different recruiting sites, by the different publications in their area that are covering them. These are the best of the best, so they're no stranger to media. And then parenting. I get props to the guardians and the parents and the way that they've raised their kids. Oh, look at you. Giving props to the parents. You suck up, you brown noser, you. Well, I'm a parent. It's okay. I know. What's up with that, by the way? How's that going? Okay, never mind. Another podcast. Uh, Darren T. I think he might be back. I feel like I've said that name before on this show. I'm not sure, though. Darren T. Said, has three questions. I'm going to answer all of them. No Adam on this question. He asked, number one, will Michael Pittman see more action when he is healthy than Jody, Tyler, and Josh? I think we're not sure. I think he might be too far behind because of that. We'll see, but I would bet on no. Number two, USC's defense is still missing assignments in year two. Is it the players or Clancy's schemes? I'm going to put it on the players because I think Clancy Pendergast has proved a couple years when he was back at Cal, when he was at USC in 2013. He's a good defensive coordinator. I think sometimes players mess up, miss tackles, things happen. He has a resume that makes me feel like he knows what he's doing when it comes to coordinating defenses. So in my opinion, if they're missing an assignment, I'm putting it on USC's players until, you know, maybe three years from now I'll feel differently. Not right now. Let me jump in real quick here. Jump in. I know you can't every help team yourself. In every system, every week, has players missing assignments. Nick Saban's fault. Okay. Is that all you got for me, Adam? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, okay, this isn't waiting. <laughs> this isn't new. No. It's not new. So I, I'm not sure if you're done. You're confused. I'm done. So no, I'm just gonna, yeah. Okay, I'm just going. Uh, number three. Does USC need a college defensive coach? It is my understanding that Clancy Pendergast is that. So <laughs> boom. I don't know what that question's about. Moving on. US, oh, no. USA 2K3 tells a joke. If you're a member, usc.rivals.com slash sign up. You get the funnies. Sign underscore up. You get the funnies. The Singularity asks, 
Adam some questions. How did the kicker tear his ACL? Hey, I'm asking that too. And uh, any update on Port Augustine's shoulder, Adam? Tell him that we got nothing for him yet. Yeah, the moment that we have an update on Augustine's shoulder, we'll report it. So if we haven't reported it, then there is no update. But we'll be getting that on Tuesday. Right now, we're in a holding pattern because there's no media access after Sunday night until Tuesday night. And then with Michael Brown, he unfortunately tore his ACL on the opening kickoff. All right, moving on. We're on to Trojan Fan 68. Our good friend Trojan Fan 68. Hi, everybody! Oh, nice. That scared me to death. Uh, I wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, first of all, he wants everybody to know that he told Adam Maya that Stanford was going to get their butts kicked, so Nick's a genius. But he didn't win predict the score. That was Kyle Keener. So, sorry, Nick. You're not that smart. Just kidding. Now, uh, Nick asks, can we put to rest the myth that the O-line is soft or a weakness? Really, this team is dynamic and will win the Pac-12 and play in the playoffs come January. Nick, we agree with you. Uh, we, we basically said that we expect that to be the goal for them on this show. I said they're winning the national title. They're definitely going to win the Chris Swanson National Championship. I'll mention that again. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that that could totally be a, a concern, that the O-line was soft. I actually thought that the O-line was soft last year, and this year I feel completely different. So you're right on the money that that turned out to be a myth. So thank you for reminding us of that, Nick. <laughs> on to Trojans Freak, who asks, how is USC's recruiting class shaping up, and do you gentlemen believe there's a guy ready to commit anytime soon? Uh, I believe USC's recruiting class is shaping up uh, to be an incredible recruiting class. I feel like if they continue to win, they're going to get pretty much anybody they want. It might be a smaller class, but I think it will be filled with the guys they want. Um, as for the question about if anybody is ready to commit anytime soon, of course, anything can happen. But at this point of the year, uh, it's usually happening a bit later. Uh, the last kind of point where we can see guys sort of jump off and commit, I feel like, is during the summer and during the camps when they get out to camp to get an offer or whatever else. Or, you know, it just kind of feels like more of that time right now feels like more of the season time uh, for coaches and for the recruits because they're all talking about how they're focused on the season uh right now so especially the california kids also like to wait if they're not committed at this point they like to wait seems like so there's nobody that jumps out to me that i feel like is going to commit anytime soon i think we're going to see that when usc starts hosting a lot of official visitors uh you know at a, uh, after the week during the weekends which we'll see after the season now they're not like a lot of programs that host a bunch of guys during the year they're going to do it after the year and that's when i think we're going to see most of these kids commit, so there's nobody right now that I'm thinking, oh, you know, they could make a pledge at any moment. But of course, you know, there's these guys that are high on USC, and anything can change, and anything can happen at any time. So stay tuned, stay stay on Trojansports.com, and we'll have all the latest for you uh, when that does happen. Can I throw, can I throw you a curveball real quick? Throw me a curveball, I hate okay. him, but go for it. I just want a percentage here. Okay. From zero to 100, how confident are you in USC signing a quarterback in the 2018 class? A quarterback. It could be any quarterback. How confident are you that they'll bring one in? Uh, I'd say 95. Okay. 
I think it's I think it's the right thing to do, and I think they'll go down the line and offer guys until they get somebody. Okay. I, they might not even have to go down the line. So. Yeah. Okay. All right, on to Chase nineteen. He has a question for Adam. Perfect. I love it. Adam, my question is still with the center position and the erratic snaps to the QB. Sam is so athletic and covers up some of the other shortcomings, but this seems to still be an issue. Can we get more reasoning as to why this is still occurring and why is it so hard to fix? Adam, let's start there. What do you think of the snaps and what's going on? This is a very good question. It's one that I need to ask this week. It's catching, I think, a lot of us off guard. I do not recall Nico having a recurring issue with snapping a ball last year. That was what a lot of people appreciated about him compared to a couple of his predecessors. But now, two games in, and it's becoming an issue. So I I don't have answers to your question, but I'm going to ask it and get your answer. I love when when Adam's going to go exploring and searching and digging. I love it. Guy Smithson is up next, asking about special teams. He asks, he or she asks, I'm guessing it's a he though, how are we doing on progressing the special teams? We look a little weak and no returns to speak of. Coaching thinking of another punt returner? I can't speak for the coaches. Um, I would though, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about the punt returner returner that they have now and what's happening but as I've mentioned before I would really like to see Stephen Carr in that role and that is what I would like to see but I'm with you I thought that I feel like USC's uh, return game obviously we've addressed the kickoff return coverage but I feel like the return game uh, you know it's been two games there's a lot of time obviously to, to have explosive returns but so far nothing huge to speak of and, and I say with all these athletes that they do have Especially with how Stephen Carr's looking with the ball in his hands as a running back, you know why not spread the wealth around a little bit? So I'm with you, but I'm not sure if the coaches are really thinking of that. I'm sure Adam I will find out more this week. Well, and I, I think too that they're going to rotate more. They don't do a lot of live reps on special teams, even though they work on special teams more than any team I've ever covered. But it's not a lot of live reps. So I feel like. What we're seeing in game one and two is experimental. And they're going to have to change personnel in a lot of these spots. Coverage teams, return teams, returners. They have options. All right. On to Fight on 31, whose first message was this question. And he asks a question for me because it's about recruiting. Will USC make the top four for Mika Parsons? Wait, That's is the this five you? Star. Is this like your like pseudo screen name? No, I have several others. Though. Okay, but this one um, isn't one of them. This is not. I. You think I would ask about Mika Parsons? You know how the board feels about me and Mika Parsons. Okay, I, just, I want to make sure before I welcome Fight on Thirty One to the family that it's not you. It's not. Me, okay, I promise. All right, welcome, okay, well, Fight on Thirty One. Welcome to the family fight on 31. Anyway, he asked, will USC make the top four for Mika Parsons? I'm torn on this. I'm very torn, so I'm going to give you a little breakdown before I answer. A part of me says no because the last top list that Mika Parsons released was a top nine. USC was not on the list. Now, 
He was considering an official visit to USD again out of the blue. Adam Freeman, Rivals.com, reported that for us. But when I caught up with sources around USC about whether or not he was going to make it out to, to USC for his official visit, which was tentatively scheduled for the Stanford game, he didn't make it out. There were no plans for him to go. I believe he visited Ohio State instead. He was definitely somewhere else. I believe it was Ohio State. Uh, so I'm up in the air because if he is going to officially visit USC and he's talked about it, they're probably going to make his top four. They'll probably certainly make his top five if he's using an official visit on them. But just months ago, they weren't in his top nine. I feel very confident that USC will not get Mika Parsons. I don't think they're going to sign him at all. I don't think they have a prayer. Top four, I could totally see that happening. I'm not sure, though. I'm not sure. I do not think USC is a very real player for him. I think they could host him on campus, though. Okay. Alan B31, one of our best friends on the site. You all are, though. Don't worry. And our final question. And our final question. Adam is reminding me, of course, because he doesn't want me to drag on and go on and on after the show. He wants me to end it. Actually, have a question for you when we're done. Oh, ooh, not our final question. (laughs) Hi, Adam and Chris. Alan B says, all is well in Trojan Land. Yes, I agree. It seems that way. Interested if your read on the receivers has changed with Burnett and Mitchell establishing themselves as the sturdy veterans that are showing the way for the still very young receiving corp. Thank, uh, thanks and fight on forever. Adam, let's hear if your read has changed. I think it has. Yeah, I kind of addressed it directly. It's not Alan's fault, but I, the, I was asked a question from USC Ether, which might not have been this question, but I basically provided an answer that would address Alan B's question. It has changed because Burnett's playing even better than I thought and I thought he would play well. Mitchell's playing better and I was down on him and I was wrong. Still looking for more from other guys, other receivers, the tight ends. And this is all a good thing. If you think about it, look how good they're playing and they can get better. I'm not trying to be greedy here. I just think that they have room for improvement here. I'm expecting them to improve. I expect more from other receivers. There's too much talent on there for it just to be two guys that are basically catching all of Sam's passes. In addition to the occasional pass to one of the running backs or the tight ends. What about you? Has it changed for you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm still, you know, I still can't say it's, you know, the USC receiving corps past. Obviously, I don't think they have that NFL guy. It's very top heavy. I I thought Stanford was going to completely shut down their wide receivers, and it didn't happen. I think a lot of it has to do with Sam. There are a couple of throws that I saw where I felt like he put it in the spot that it was supposed to be and challenged his receiver to go get it. And there's a moment there where it's like, are they going to live up to that challenge or are they not? And they did. And, you know, before I I kind of expected, oh, are they going to have the speed to do that, to separate, to go get those balls, whatever else. Uh, Sam Darnold challenged them in that game uh, by throwing, you know, and Stanford's secondary challenged them as well because they made him throw passes in certain spots and, USC's receivers lived up to it, and I cannot say one bad thing about them at this point because I think Stanford's defensive backfield was incredible. They lived up to the challenge, and they kind of tore them up. So 
what can I say? Uh, it's definitely, my perception has definitely changed. Yeah, and, and Darnold too. Darnold's playing even a little better than I thought he would play. And I, wow. I think the world of him. And he's still improving. And it, it felt like, because of how incredible he played last year, that he couldn't top that. He would be probably smarter and more mature. But could he be more productive? Would he be? Well, maybe. It, it's on the table. You like that guy almost as much as you like Rojo. That's what I want to talk about. Oh, I was hoping you were going to ask me for a thorough injury update. <laughs> no, I, we didn't talk a lot about Stephen Carr. And I just had one question for you. I'll yes. give my cake. Who's USC's best running back? Right now it's Rojo. In two years, Stephen Carr will be better. Well, than Rojo him. won't be like, here in be, two years. Well, that's what I'm. But I'm saying in two years, he'll be better than what months. Rojo was now. I don't know if he's going to overtake him that quickly. It's darn close already, though. Stephen Carr is really impressive, so, and I think we were higher on Stephen Carr than any freshman, and and he's still exceeding our expectations. Yeah. I can't say he's better than the junior tailback, though. No. You know what I mean? I'm not going there either, but I know some people think that. Well, potential-wise, he is. No, no, no. I I, I think think people see him being better right now. Yeah. It's a backlash for your love towards Rojo. It's not about me. I'm talking just about people that are watching what's going on. Carr has been magnificent. And Rojo... He's been so good that Rojo has had two awesome games and they've been overshadowed. It's weird. So I I was trying to think one-two punch, when has USC been better? We know that Reggie and Wendell hit a higher ceiling, but I don't think they hit it until their third year. So in, in 2004, when they both were sophomores, they combined for 2,000 yards rushing. And remember, that was when Herschel Dennis did not play. 2003, they were all sharing, the three of them. And Dennis got the most carries, and Landell still led them in rushing. But in 2004, it was really Landell and Reggie. Herschel played a little bit. Devin Reed played a little bit. It was mop-up time. It was Landell and Reggie, two-headed attack, and they combined for 2,000 yards. Rojo and Carr are going to beat that. Now, in 2005, Wendell and Reggie combined for 3,000 yards. Rojo and Carr are not going to top 3,000 yards. But I think they're going to be better than Wendell and Reggie were as a tandem in their second year, which is crazy because Rojo is a junior, but Carr is a true freshman. See, I, I don't. I would rather take sophomore year Glendale White and Reggie. But well, I'm just talking back. about as runners from the running back position. Now, what you loved about Reggie and Glendale is that they were so different, and so they kind of beat you in 
you know, they were like a total package combined, and Reggie was already a remarkable receiver. So I, I get it. Like, they were better players. I'm not taking these two over, the two of them, in that year. But they're going to surpass them in rushing. I think they're they're better pure runners. Landell and Reggie were all-encompassing. And they, they had so much value in different facets. It's very different than Rojo and Carr. I'm just surprised that we're going to see Rojo and Carr, in all likelihood, top Landell and Reggie in rushing. It was Carr's first year, Rojo's third year, and then Landell's second, Reggie's second. So either way you slice it, it's four years of experience, and they're going to top him. I didn't see that coming. Or if I did, it it was because I thought Rojo would get about 1,400 yards, and maybe Carr got like 600. But they're both going to top 1,000 yards. No, Adam, I can't. I can't say I saw it coming either. Huge surprise. Uh, maybe the difference and and why this team is you know become such a monster is because they have that backfield. Uh, big surprise though. Either way, uh, that's going to do it for our show. Uh, for Adam J. Maya, I'm Chris Swanson. Uh, but before we go, make sure if that if you listen to the show and if you are not subscribed, to get onto the website and to subscribe because you're missing a ton. It's usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Uh, you're missing a bunch of recruiting updates if you're not a member of the site. Uh, just an example, James Cook was in Las Vegas playing Bishop Gorman. Nobody's talked to James Cook about you USC, but we have. Exactly, because I drove to Las Vegas and I got him. So make sure you sign up for the site. You read that update. Read all the other updates. We have plenty of stuff. We have an update on Tyreek Smith. He's taking an official visit this weekend. bunch of recruiting updates. That's the rival's way. It's what we do. Also, though, if you're not signed up, I know you read the newspaper. I know you watch all the games. I know you think you're caught up on all the beat coverage, but you're not. Adam J. Maya is a special reporter. We have a special team. Uh, just look at what we do on game days. We're talking field reporting on game days, video updates during the game, uh, field highlights during the game. If you are watching USC play football and you don't have your laptop, your iPad, your computer, your iPhone, whatever else, open and on Trojansports.com and on our live thread, you're missing breaking news. So make sure that you're on our site and that you're signed up and that you're always paying attention because even on game day, even when you just want to watch TV, maybe you're missing stuff if you're not on Trojansports.com. So get on it. Good job. I know, right? That was a really that was a plug, if I can say so myself. So once again, for Adam I am Chris Swanson, thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys listening to us, and uh, we will see you next week. Plug it in, plug it in. Bye bye.